Hey guys, starting the episode with a special shout out. This winter is going to be especially harsh for those without a place to go home. As I'm sure you are aware, due to COVID-19, many more found themselves out of work and without access to resources we often take for granted. I would like you to check out Existentially Yours, Langlandia, and more on December 27th and 28th as they support the work of the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. This is an invaluable community resource that offers protection and college scholarships for unaccompanied youth and works to change laws that make re-entry into life, a job, or home very difficult for ex-offenders. There will also be a ton of keyboard giveaways, auctions, and more incentives to participate, but I would say we don't need giveaways to join these type of actions. Right, guys? I'll put the links in the show notes, so please make sure to go and support them on this noble cause. Now... On to the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Thock, a podcast about the mechanical keyboard hobby and what makes it to have a large amount of keyboards and key sets. My guest this episode is a mechanical keyboard enthusiast that is one of the co-hosts of Top Clack. He has an impressive collection of custom keyboards, the mind behind high-end boards such as the J01 and J02, shares his love for keyboards with cars and motorsports, and he's currently also a vendor through his store prototypist. Jay, welcome to the talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure for, to have you here. So as you probably are aware, we always start with the most usual and cheesy question of them all. But <laughs> what got you into the mechanical keyboard hobby to start with? Oh, man. Um, going way back on that one. Yeah, it, it is. It's going way back. Uh, so my first truly mechanical keyboard was probably like a, a Model M or something back in the late 80s or early 90s. But the, the, the time where I really remember getting into them was probably the mid-2010s, so probably somewhere re- between 2012 and 2013. And I wanted something nice to type on uh at the time and i ended up with a a, a poker of all things the original poker uh plastic case everything I else everyone. i still have that board actually yeah. mx browns yeah. uh ansi layout as well Oof. interestingly enough yeah <laughs> um yeah i still have that board to this day um and that, that was the first thing that got me into it and from there i learned about a key set group by which was for sa calm depths and that was oh. my first key set group by and ever since then i've That's been hooked it. yeah so on that note, right, so when did you realize yourself that you had taken the red pill and you had gone really, really deep into that, to the rabbit hole, that moment in time when you think yourself, oh, too late now? I, I, th- I think it was probably around 2016, and I realized that well, I was speaking to someone in December of 2016, which was just about the time that I was going to start streaming myself. And I realized that, because this was back in the day when GMK sets ran like once every other month or something, Correct. there was four or five sets a year. Yeah. And I realized that I'd bought every single key setting group by that particular year. And <laughs> that was the <laughs> moment I realized when I went back and looked at it, it was like, Hang on, wait a minute. I just bought every single one. Now, of course, today you couldn't do that. There's no, you can't. Pieces of That's, money, it's, right? it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Back, back then, it was a different world, and yeah. yeah, I know I wasn't the only person that was doing that. There was quite a few people that were joining every key set group by, and uh, but again, those like names say, are still around. Yeah, you know, like you say, if you had like two key sets or one key set every every two months, then it would make things much more simpler. And then, because they were not common, yeah. then obviously people would would get into every single one of them because it's not like today where you have so much choice and so much difference on them, right? It's just, you know, exactly. everyone everyone decides I want to make a GMK set. That's probably exactly. 
Yeah, and you could you you couldn't join every GMK set now. I mean, if if there's ten a month, that's you know that's a couple of thousand dollars yeah, a month. Think Keith says you can do it. You just can't keep up with that. Yeah. Now on that note, what are you currently typing on then? Uh, so right now I'm typing on the board I built on my last build stream, which is my Juby by Pona. Oh, the so, Juby, uh, yeah. Yeah, the Juby, yeah. So we've got uh, Morv switches in it with TX Films lubed with 205 grade zero. And then I've got one of my favorite key sets of all time on there, which is GMK Retro Arabic. Yeah, um, which I saw that set. Lovely. It's beautiful. But you know, I would love for one of those sets to, just to have Arabic. That would be just perfect. Instead of yeah. having the double legends, just... Completely so, Mito did a because on on this version of the set, it's double shot uh, Latin letters, and then it's uh, di- it's um, uh, not dice. What's the word? It's pad printed yep. uh, Arabic legends in in the red font, um, and. Uh, there, there is a there, you can do with GMK double shot Arabic keycaps. Mito has done them before uh, with his last round of Pulse. He just did an alpha set that was just Arabic. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe a little mm-hmm. teaser. There's something in the works in the back of my head, and uh, maybe it. something coming. Save it for later. Save that for later because we're <laughs> going to talk about that. <laughs> now, do you even small? So, what is your favorite layout, and why? I think. My favorite layout is probably 65% with left macro keys. I I like to rely on macros. Mm-hmm. A lot of my day job is based around Excel and having macros to hand is really useful. Um, but when I'm traveling, which is quite often quite a lot for work, um, I tend to prefer a smaller layout. So my travel board at the moment is the Equinox again by Pona. Pona's boards are my daily drivers at the minute. Um, so I have, I have that plugged into my iPad and that's my 40% daily driver. Uh, I probably do more typing on that than I do on the, uh, on the 65. So all in. Do So yeah, 40% more for typing and then. Yeah. Just, then just pure text input, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I find the, I, th- I think it's, it's the reasons twofold for me. One, it's a smaller board. It's lighter to carry in. It's easy to move around. It's more, it's more portable, right? Yep. The second one is it's pure text input. There's no need to worry about numbers or digits or, you know, uh, other paraphernalia pasting images and it's it's literally usually just for hashing out emails it's for communicating and pure text input and not having Correct. all those other keys there helps me really focus on what i'm writing yeah uh now do you like them stiff or do you like them wiggly and now that could be a double-edged question but yeah what is yeah, that what is your keyboard uh your favorite keyboard mounting style <laughs> I prefer it stiff. Uh, I like I like something nice and stiff. Um, not too stiff though. So I don't. I'm I'm generally not a fan of an integrated plate that tends to err on the side of being too stiff for me. But I prefer a a firmer typing feel. I'm not too keen on the softer, uh, the gummy worm mounts where it's really soft and bouncy. Personally, but yeah, yeah. I, prefer, I prefer something more on the stiffer end. Yeah. And on that note, um, more of um of the gasket mounting styles, etc. Top mount. Yeah, I, I I would I would tend to err on the side of either top or a a tabbed gasket or a full enclosure gasket like the J series boards. That that's kind of where I like to be. Um, anything other than that generally feels a little bit too soft for me. Yeah, good. Now, last question of the generic questions, probably not uh, one that makes that much sense, but ergo, what, bruv? So <laughs> what <laughs> what are the limits of the ergonomics to you? Do you you do full splurgo splits and orthos or 
No, it's the only sensor. So I've I've got two boards that you could probably put in the Ergo. Uh, well, the, um, yeah, the Ergo camp, which is the FLX Virgo, and the VEA. And whilst I use the FLX Virgo a lot, I've not used the VEA in probably two years. So that's the only split board I have right now as well. Mm, so Spurgo guys yeah. will not be happy with that, but hey. It is what it no. is. Hey, we had, yeah. we already had a, a Splurgo representative on the last episode, so that's okay. W- one Splurgo representative is enough, I think. That, that's <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> <laughs> right now, going back, going to 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 the more uh, you know more um, directed questions for you. Uh, I obviously need to start with uh, with Top Clack and your experience co-hosting it. Right, it's a staple of the community, Top Clack. Obviously, uh, can you tell us a bit of how you got involved? with the show and presenting it or co-hosting it with with Brian? Yeah, um, back at this point, uh, I was just doing build streams on my own personal channel and I'd been doing them for maybe a year or so. Yeah, which I saw. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're still all on YouTube, actually. Yeah. People watch them. They still get views every day. It's crazy. Um, and I was just really enjoying doing build streams, doing giveaways and, you know, trying to just, just be nice in the community and give people content to watch. And around the same sort of time, I'd always watched Top Clack for the weekly news and everything else. I knew Brian and Huey and most of the mod team and everything else. And uh, I was hanging out in the server a lot back then as well. And man of interests, uh, Huey decided that he was going to leave Top Clack. Um, yep. This was mid 2018, I think. Um, and then Brian just messaged me out of the blue. Uh, he he was like, "Dude, if you if you'd like to do an audition for Top Clack, I'd uh, I'd love to have a chat with you." And it was like, "Sure." So we had a chat, we had a conversation. Uh, I know I was not the only name in the frame at the time. There were other people he was talking to as well. Um, but yeah, then he he offered me the 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 role to go and work with him on Top Clack as a co-host, and nice. I started on the. F- I think it was like the 3rd of January 2019. So nearly two years now that I've been on Top Clack. Yeah, Jesus. Was it stressful joining a show of that magnitude as Top Clack? So so the interesting thing is I get nervous now, even now doing build streams. Before I do any stream, I get really nervous. I have to double check and triple check. I've got everything got everything to hand and i put post-it notes all around my monitor to try and make sure i'm talking about the right things and to to remind myself of things not to say so it was it was more stressful then than it is now but i still i still have that bit of you know butterflies in my stomach i I see i I see what you mean because it's the same thing you know with me i you know i've done some 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 streams just uh for fun but it, it is that you still get a bit of that and even doing the podcast you know i do get it it's obviously that you always feel that uh, that little stress of of going live etc but uh, but yeah cool yeah yeah Some, sometimes i even have to give myself like a, a mental countdown into clicking the go live button it's uh, it can yeah. be quite stressful <laughs> yeah now um until recently obviously top clack was the news show of the hobby right mm. uh you guys changed it to a different format and although many many miss the old show you know, I personally feel that the new format is much more interesting. Although, yes, I liked to 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 listen to the news, but you can pick them up in several other you know streams or or, or even on Geek Hack, right? Mm-hmm. Both you, you and Brian mentioned the need to change. Did you feel that it was you know there was a big impact with that change? You guys are obviously both happier with it. Right. Yeah. So th- this actually goes way back to when I first joined Top Clack. When when I originally joined after the first couple of months, this would be early 2019. Brian and I sat down and we were like, right, 
the, the, this is the show. I've kind of got used to being on the show now. I kind of understand how it all works. But what what's the Brian and Jay version of Top Clack? What, what what's different from the way it was done with Huey and before that Bechtor and, and and everyone else who's been part of Top Clack? You know, how could we make the show something for us? And we we knew that we didn't want to keep doing the news. It was it's a lot of work. Like, no, oh, I'm sure just pulling pulling together a list of all the new interest checks every week and the group buys every week and making sure you've got the latest version of information so you don't upset anybody. Um, you know, and making sure that you've you've checked everything out and done your research before the show. There's there's no way you can do that kind of show blind, right? You have to no, prep for it. Sure. You have to for know sure. what's coming up. I, I I couldn't not have looked at the list and then just have Brian show me a key set on screen and give my honest opinion because I have not had time to think about it or percolate the yeah. thoughts through. Um, so we, we, we knew right there and then at the beginning when we talked about this that it was a lot of work. And the original plan was to really condense Top Clack into doing some different things um, and maybe doing the news once a month or something like that and just having like a highlights reel of news once a month. Um, when we we did some of the other additional streams, so I did one with uh, Mr. Keeps, uh, the Brazilian streamer, uh, where we played a a bit of a game of, uh, of top trumps. Oh, I remember. So, I yeah, remember, it was yeah. it was it was great fun. It was great. Yeah. Um, it was difficult to arrange and organize, but we were trying to do new things back then, and we we kind of got a lot of negative feedback on it, and a lot of people saying, "Oh, you should just stick to doing the news, and we only want to hear about the news, and just tell us about the interest checks and the group buys and what your thoughts on them are, and do some build streams as well." So when we started to get that negative feedback, we we just kind of clambered back into our shells and 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 you know pulled pulled the turtle head back in and just just became the new show, and and we doubled down on that. Um. After you know six twelve months of doing that, we we started to realize that we were just burnt out. We were putting twenty thirty hours a week into working out what what should be on the show each week and document. This is between us, so it was you know ten or fifteen hours each between us. Yeah, correct. Um, just to try and document out what we were going to talk about, structure the show each week. You know which key sets in which order, and making sure we had all the information there. And uh, like what a lot of people don't realize is that we had like a full on document that we shared each week that had a list of all of the different things with bullet points and talking points for every single thing um for every single interest check or group by and that that's a lot of work it takes a lot of effort yeah and it, it, it got to the point where we were just we were just burnt out and around the same sort of time uh covid started to hit towards the beginning of this year uh more and more interest checks started to come out and we realized we just couldn't keep up with it and one of the big changing points for us was Mintley's and Alex Otis's uh, streams about mental health. So they did a whole raft of really great streams about mental health and everything yeah. else and tried to promote it. And Brian and I just sat down and said, let's just take a couple of weeks off. Let's just not do the show for a couple of weeks and really think about what we both want from the show. And we did that. We took a bit of time off. We We, we didn't really speak much for a couple of weeks and we kind of like let our own emotions and opinions work and we worked through them on our own and then we came back together after a couple of weeks and we, we both said at the same time dude let's let's not do the news anymore it was like it was like we spoke yeah. over each other a little bit it was like that that's the one thing we both agreed on we needed to change um so we started to to reduce the amount of news that we did over the next couple of weeks as we came back and then we just completely stopped it and since we've done that, the, the, the feedback was kind of negative for the first couple of weeks. Some people disliked that we weren't doing the news or complained that we weren't doing the news, seemed expectant that we should do the news and we had a right to do the news and they had a right for us to, to uh, oh. they had a right to demand that we did the news. Entitlement in the um, hobby. Oh. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Who'd have think, right? Who'd, Who'd have think? think yeah. <clears throat> um, so, was, but after after a couple of weeks of just persevering, and we didn't always stream every week at this point because we were still coming back to yeah, terms of how we wanted to structure things. Um, so we took a couple of weeks off here and there, and we tried to restructure a little bit. We had started to have some guests on, and do you know what? Since then, it's been a world shift. There's still some prep time that's needed, but it's vastly reduced, and the prep time now is more fun instead of just reading endless yeah. interest checks it's now chatting with someone about who's going to come on the show or it's creating a game show like we did last week where we which was fun pit, yeah <laughs> where we put brian and ourselves against each other yeah. and include chat as well the, the 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 big thing for me is streaming is always about chat you know from my build streams that when i stream Correct. i like to talk to chat i like to read what they're saying i like to answer their questions yeah because and it's, when a, we it's, were a, doing the, it's a very interactive no, sorry it's, it's a very interactive thing right what's the point yeah. on 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 going into a stream if it's not to interact it's more you know for that then you can watch a, a vod that's it exactly you know? right yeah. and we we found that when we were doing the news shows we were only interacting with the chat during the q a section at the end that was the only time we interacted with them whereas now we can take that time and we can pose questions to chat and we can do polls in chat and we can answer questions or comments that come up about whatever we're talking about and it makes it a lot more fluid a lot more dynamic and it makes us happier it, it, it's more challenging mentally than it is just drudgery of writing down stuff about thing about a key set to say for example it it, it helps us think and it, it's a much more enjoyable way of doing it's more show. creative too you go obviously absolutely yeah, the, the creating yeah. the creative process is, is much better now I, w- I i had that you already spoke a bit about it because of um you know there's a natural adversity to change in everything in the world right so mm. would you say that the you know the the community now embraced the new top clack and is now back on its full fledged did you lose a lot of followers etc or people because people end up getting used to it right yeah um i think in the first instance we did i think what helps with that was taking a good break for a little while and then coming back and people getting used to the fact that there'd be no new show um I think if we'd have just jumped straight from one type of content into the other, that might have been a bit more difficult for people to accept. But the fact that we weren't around for a little bit and then by the time we did come back, um, other people had started to pick up the mantle of the news, which is great. Like There's so many different people cover the news now um, that you can get multiple different opinions. When we were doing it, no one else did it. And I don't know if that's just because they thought, oh, that's Top Clack's job or Probably. I would say that, yeah. Could be something like that. There's so many. Right. Yeah, that, I like that, to watch McMurlin and yeah. uh, Apiary and Huey Alex with his, uh, Huey, with his yeah. small one, you know, which is fast, but it's quite interesting. But like you said, maybe maybe a bit of that, that if I decided, if I had the idea, oh, you know what, I'm going to cover, um, you know, group by news, I would obviously be thinking, first of all, me, I would be threading on Top Clacks, and then you would get all the haters going like, oh, this guy's just copying Top Clack, et cetera. Right. So now I, I guess on that, the community also has accepted it all on, on that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that helped as well is Brian was really open about his mental health challenges at the time as well. Um, so that helped the community to understand how we were both feeling and certainly yeah. how Brian was feeling and that it wasn't good for us mentally anymore. Um, I think but, it was a that was a very good, you know, the episode when when Brian uh, basically, when you guys uh, explained that, look, we're not going to do the, the news anymore. This is the reasons mm. why everything. I think that was very strong for the people to understand. Because again, yeah. you know, uh, talking back to mental health, everyone talks and for a long time, everyone thinks, oh, you know, mental health, just get on with it. But now I guess that with COVID, everyone realized that, no, it is a thing. It is something that affects you and it affects you daily. And so it's not easy. 
right? You can get to a point where you don't even want to get out of bed, which is Absolutely. complicated, right? So yeah. So I think it was very important, and also because of the period and everyone, uh, let's say if this happened like uh, a year ago where everything was perfect, people wouldn't understand that much. But I guess that now also people started, you know, understanding much more that side of the mental health and what affects you because everyone is stuck at home, really. So, you know. Now, another thing I wanted to to touch on, right? Prototypist. Mm, okay. So you have decided to take the route of becoming a vendor, right? And is this an easy thing to do? You know, you obviously uh, been <laughs> much busier than, 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 than before you started, right? You don't sleep, you... You do the show at 2 a.m., etc., and you continue to work. You have a, you know, you have a full-time job at the same time. So, is it hard? It, yes, but it's enjoyable as well. So, when I mentioned earlier on about doing the the, the stuff for Top Clack where it was difficult and it was drudgery and it was frustrating writing the news document every week, this this type of work's different. Like, if you enjoy work, sometimes the hours don't matter, and Correct. you know the, the the stress doesn't matter. And with prototypist, I really enjoy what I do. Like the the whole idea behind prototypist isn't you know to be like a profit making machine or anything else like that. Like I don't pay myself any money for doing it, but what I do get is the enjoyment of being able to bring things to market that might otherwise not have been so i've been helping people make prototypes of keyboards that uh, are going to come out uh, pretty soon you, you'll have seen the argyle as a great example yep. of one um you know so so helping socialite realize his dream of having that particular board and then being able to bring it to the community as well um so the, there's all that kind of stuff that, that happens with prototypists plus i get to see things before anyone else as well like when yep. the key sets deliver and things that's the benefit to me and that's the that's the big pro for me um and it, it's just nice to be able to help the community out in that way, offer services and products that might not quite have made it to group by if I'd not been able to help. Do you self do you see yourself becoming a full time vendor one day? <laughs> that's that's a difficult question. Um like <laughs> And 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 I guess, I guess this is a good place to talk about it as well, because um I, I do have a day job. Uh, which is is quite intensive uh however there is a risk that that day job may go away um covid yeah. is causing my yeah. company to make a series of layoffs and i will fall into that at risk pot so there is a chance that i will not have a day job at some point in the near future um which may may mean that i do end up doing prototypist full time but yeah. not necessarily making that conscious choice, just being having the opportunity to do it full time without needing to worry about money or anything else because of severance pay and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I wouldn't have planned for prototypist to become my full time work, but there is a there is a good chance, uh, probably seventy or eighty percent chance that at some point in Q one of next year, I, w I will be working on prototypes full time, uh, and I won't have a day job anymore. Yeah, sad, sad to hear that, man. It, uh, COVID has affected a lot of people on that. It, it, it's unfortunate how many people got affected by, uh, by you know, by by COVID and and being uh, laid off because companies just can't handle it. Right, you know, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and then obviously, then they start realizing that they can do things with less people, for sure. And and the 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 interesting thing there is, I work in a, a fintech environment, so financial technology, 
and most of what I've worked on has been transformation and uh, revolution within the technology sector of that that kind of uh, uh, of banking basically and that that was always uh, vocational spend it wasn't necessarily keep the business running spend correct it was correct. all it, uh, we, we call it discretionary spend within the bank but it's basically uh, funds that they can invest to maybe try and improve things for whether it be customers colleagues you know um, yeah. profit margins whatever it might be whatever the, the take might be it's uh, it's there for that and that discretionary spend pot for next year is non-existent so Good, therefore obviously. people who do my kind of role um those roles don't exist anymore so mm, yeah. yeah complicated anyway do you think that there are enough custom stores uh coming come back to prototypes do you think there are enough custom stores in the hobby uh do you do you even think that it's getting a bit saturated with with the custom store that exists <sighs> I think you can measure the level of saturation by the speed at which products sell out. And right now, I think we're at a point where anything that goes on sale that has even the tiniest amount of hype behind it sells out crazy yeah, fast. In seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we saw the Satisfaction 75 group by a couple of weeks ago that sold out. I mean, what? a minute or something like that i don't oh, even yeah. know what the numbers were i've stopped paying attention to the numbers now but it sold out really quickly the im180 this weekend just gone i think that sold out on all vendors in you know less than a few minutes as well i think it was i think that was seconds I, uh, again yeah. i didn't keep track of the details but it was it was silly quick you go back to 2017 and you know it, it would be quite common to have a group buy for a board open for a month for just 100 spots um, and now those hundred spots will go in 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 seconds. Just uh, picking up on that, but uh, one topic that I really like to talk about, which is, do you think that that is first of all um, people wanting to, you know, we we talk about it a lot, and it's been a subject that people hate to hear about, which is flipping, right? But we talk about it a lot. Do you think that those type of boards are also um, because of that? Because yeah, obviously, yes, you have a lot of people that really want it because they want their premium board. They, you know, they. There is the hype for the board. It has been, but do you think that it's also a bit of that that people uh, attack them that that fast also because of that that situation and that and that reason? Um, yeah, people buy to flip. Like that, that's a known phenomenon in the hobby, yeah. and the the hobby's got a, in a really weird position where things are secondhand sell for more than they do when they're brand new, which is crazy. Um, yeah, thanks. when when you think about it, it, it is unusual. You go on Craigslist, and you're very rarely going to find something that is more expensive secondhand than it is brand new, unless it's a collector item, unless it's something you know that that's really unusual or rare. And I think that's exactly what we've hit with the hobby right now. We've got to a point where there's so many people in the hobby that want these really nice high-end boards that the limited numbers that we are able to run as vendors and group buy runners these days just doesn't hit the mark. Um, you know, this is why we see bots for sales. When we did the JO1 sale in September, there was a significant number of orders that could only have been completed by bots. So I cancelled all of them because I don't want to you know deal with that kind of person uh, interestingly enough i emailed all of the people that uh, all of the email addresses that had these what i suspected were botted orders and only one of them came back to me all of the rest just accepted the <laughs> fact that i'd cancelled the order and didn't even challenge it only yeah. one of them came back to me um and they were really pleasant about it and they understood why i'd done it as well so yeah. um I think it's an interesting situation, but it, it's supply and demand, right? The, the the supply is limited and demand is high. It's crazy that it's still one of the few hobbies where you can buy something, use it for a year, and sell it more expensive than 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 you, you yeah. bought it. Which is, you know, even that used that that word used doesn't really mean much in in keyboards, right? 
Yeah, sure. I think it will, will get to an interesting point if you buy something and it's not worth as much as what you paid for it in a year. That will be a real turning point in the hobby. I think. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Right. Then obviously then, then the key set uh, group buys are going to have much lower uh, uh, you know, so selling uh, uh, sets because people know that oh, I can buy it later and it's cheaper, right? But anyway, <laughs> now <laughs> maybe <laughs> want to go and talk about your J series of boards, right? So you have the really positive return from the community, and you've mentioned in shows that you made the boards with a specific sound profile in mind, right? Mm. Could you talk a bit about uh, how the process of making that board and any hiccups you found across the process of making it? available and and with the sound profile that that um that that it has and then as a follow-up question after this one is that how does someone do uh you know work in fusion to get being fusion being cat to 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 get a sound profile outcome you know normally you look at lines etc but working towards a sound profile yeah so there's, there's there's a lot of complexity in this and the, the the original idea behind the J series of boards was to have a layout that I liked that sounded good. And one of the things I had seen coming up to 2017, which was when the first J01 was designed, was that a lot of boards were trying to minimize the amount of space between the PCB and the inside of the case. They were trying to get that as small as possible. And that for me, that always just sounded really flat. And if you think about any musical instrument, most musical instruments have some sort of, certainly acoustic instruments, they have some sort of chamber or area Correct. for sound to resonate yeah. and build and change. Um, and that generally leads to a warmer sound. It generally leads to a more complete sound as well. Um, and it, 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 it's richer. And whilst we don't work in wood, like most instruments are, those types of, I'm thinking, you know, guitars and violins and that Correct. kind of thing. Whilst we, whilst we don't work in wood like those do, there's still something to be said for having space for sound to, sound for sound to develop. Um, apologies if you can hear that no in the background. The, the, coffee, the coffee man's just arrived outside and he plays the tune. Or something. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the idea was to have like a, a sound profile from the board and develop that through giving the sound space to develop that was the whole idea behind the j series and we wanted to do that in two ways the first way was to eliminate any contact of the plate with the case um so we'd seen gasket mounts before in the otd boards and things like that and uh Kikel had done the number one uh, uh with uh with type machina at the time uh and the the gskt had come out and had the o-ring mount and everything else but those boards still had contact with the plate in the case in some position yep so the the idea for me was to to how can we completely isolate that and basically that was a case of come up with a three layer gasket idea approach that's seen in the j01 and in the j02 as well um which is to have like a base layer that you sit the plate on a mid layer that goes around the edge of the plate to stop the plate being able to contact the metal case in any way shape or form and then a layer that goes on top that just gives separation between the top case and the plate as well so the plate is effectively uh if, if the plate didn't move and you took those gaskets away the plate would be hovering in the middle of the board yeah yeah so no no contact with the outside case without dampening material in there and i tried loads of different materials i i even tried things like cork denim um all sorts of different materials <laughs> to try and work out what the right thing was um like i just had so many cuts cut up bits of material um and, and fabrics and uh yeah all sorts of different things with different properties um, but once we'd, once we'd worked out how to isolate the, the, the plate from the case and had a really good method of that, the next thing was then to give the, give the board 
the opportunity for sound to develop. So on the J01, the original prototype, the very first one that I have, the acoustic cavity that's inside the board, um, that was a lot smaller. And it helped, but only in certain areas. So between like R and U, D and J, and the kind of like C to N, it kind of, in the area, it sounded really, really nice. But then towards the outside of the board, where the acoustic cavity wasn't there, it started to become a lot more high-pitched and a lot more duller in terms of the fullness of the sound. Very similar to boards, again, went really close to the PCB. Yeah. So for the actual public run of the J01, the original one, uh, there was 15 uh, units made, well, plus some spares as well. Um, and we actually extended the acoustic cavity to cover the whole of the alpha section of the board. The only parts it didn't cover was the two left-hand macro columns and the right-hand 65% column. Um, and that gave a much warmer and fuller sound. Um, the way that we did that infusion is we actually based it on the golden ratio. So the depth of the acoustic cavity, I'm not going to give away too many of my secrets here but no, the depth of, of the acoustic not. cavity compared to the rest of the board actually follows a lot of rules that are set out in uh, uh in ancient greek and uh roman kind of understanding of mathematics and the the you know uh, uh so Very we used a, a lot of phi uh which is kind of like a mathematical uh symbol uh that denotes how things should coalesce with each other um uh, it's also known as the magic number uh, it's not three the magic number it's different but uh yeah. yeah fee the golden ratio we used a lot of that in there as well and it, it works like it helps us out from that but the real thing that we did aside from that work infusion is prototyping like that's that's where you really understand what it's going to sound like and how it's going to impact and as i say that first that very first board that i still have it does sound very different to the later jl ones um and we improved on that by just expanding that acoustic cavity Speaking of prototypes, how many prototypes in the end did you end up doing before uh, committing to to the, the this is the one? Uh, I don't know because um, there was a couple of prototypes that just didn't work as well. So for the J01 before, okay, the easiest way to answer this is before we did the J01 Rev1 this year. I think there was twenty seven different prototypes. prototypes. Yeah. yeah, that ranged from some that were really simple, including three D printed ones. In aluminium, I think there was eighteen in total. Yeah, yeah, guys. So if you're thinking of making a board, it's not that simple, and it's not that cheap. Just FYI, <laughs> right? It it can be simple, and it can be cheaper. But well, yeah. yes, I know. But uh, you know, we we already had this talk also with uh, with James uh, from uh, from AKB, right? But but I think that's that is a point to to raise that uh, some people don't probably don't realize how much uh, money is involved in in making just a prototype, as an example. And with the risk that yeah. you get the prototype and then it doesn't work because something was missed or something, and then you have to go back to the drawing board, spend more money. So, yeah. you know, I think that that's also something because some people just think, oh, you know, these guys are selling these keyboards at five hundred dollars. These guys are stealing us. No, it's it's all included too, right? It's not uh, it's not the simple For thing sure. to do. Right. There, there, there is a, an element of R&D cost to any group. Correct, right? correct. You know, you, you, and, and that goes to the same for any product that anyone brings out. There's always going to be R&D costs. Um, and and oh, that yeah. can be greater or lesser. It's different from group by to group by. Um, and it's funny and that's that you, what, don't, you don't hear people talking about that for tennis shoes or T-shirts or shirts, but it exists. You know, It's not sure. that, that, that they, they're not making money out of it. You know, It, it is how it is. And, and it's because, uh, like you said, you know, R&D costs, uh, um you know, shipping costs, boxes, at everything is included on those prices, right? So it's not yeah. just because uh, you know, taxes, I guess people, import costs, e exactly, labor, yeah, yeah, it's all everything in there. is included, right? Now, for the beginners out there, 
you know, could you give us some tips about keycap set or board creation? Now, I remember personally, I approached you very, very young in my uh, keyboard career, my journey. I, I had this idea for a keyset, right? Uh, yeah. And I messaged you and I said, hey, you know, I have this idea. And you were very, very polite and helpful. But at the same time, you know, yeah, it's not good enough. And now that I'm on this, you know, stage of the journey, I totally understand that, yeah, it was not good enough, right? Do you get a lot of that? Do you get a lot of this, these new people just coming up? I have this idea, but not really, uh, uh, first of all, not, not thinking about everything or coming up with some, let's say, a keycap set that is exactly like something that happened three years ago that they don't know. Yeah, I, I I get messages probably almost daily on stuff like that these days. Um, I think some of it does fall into the camp of it's just not good enough, it's not going to do well, it's not well rounded out, it's not thought enough through, um, but it might have the basis of a good idea. It might just, it might just need some refinement and pushing in the yeah. right direction, right the way through to people that are 100% set and ready to go and know exactly what they want to deliver, um, and kind of everything in between as well. So, I mean, that's one of the big pleasures of running Prototype, is I get to see all of this stuff happening and help people and focus it in the right directions and, and help them talk about kitting and everything else and yeah. i think the, the the biggest piece of advice that i could give someone is to go and look at the really popular sets and try and understand why they've worked what's what's worked for them in terms of the kitting the layouts the uh the way the interest check has been uh kind of portrayed and then go and look at some of the sets that have done terribly or not made it or haven't made it to group buy and see what the difference is and that will help you to shape your interest check your idea um it'll help you to shape your your idea around kitting and things like that as well um and i don't expect anyone to come to me with a fully finalized fleshed out answer like it, it's it's nice to be able to help them on that journey as well and to say actually okay so i can see that you've looked at olivia and you've seen that it sold seven thousand sets and that's why they didn't put a numpad in the base kit your set might not sell that many so it might be a better idea to add that numpad back into the base kit you know or whatever yeah, the conversation yeah. might be just to try and help them and guide them through there um i think the the two biggest bits of advice I could give on this is is read and learn. Go and have a look at everything that's come before. Um, you know, don't be afraid of sharing your idea. People aren't going to steal it, assess, uh, you know, necessarily. Uh, if you've got something that's semi developed, you can. There are safe space, safe places to share that and talk about that. You know, ask certain people for help and advice. Um, the second thing is is do it because you want to do it do it because it interests you do it because you like to do it and you want to see this product made don't do it just because you're chasing a payday yeah, because that was, that was, most yeah. of those projects they tend not to go very far they tend to fall over it becomes obvious that's why people are doing it and people yeah. tend not to buy sets that are in that kind of frame of mind yeah, that, that was that was actually something that i was going to ask you because uh you know with all these people seeing uh Again, the Olivia's of the world selling all these sets, etc. You know, I, I think there's a lot, and we've seen examples of even interest checks that you can plainly see that they're there just to make money and not really to to create something that they want to do, right? Sure, and and there's nothing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with making some money and making no, a no, bit no, of a profit but, off of it. But starting but, on that, uh, it's not about making the money because again, you know, you. But it's starting on that and not with the other way, which is I have a vision that I would love to see exactly made, exactly right? and i think the other thing as well is you have to be prepared to lose money on this kind of stuff as well because there is every chance in the world that you could come up with say a keyboard design you could prototype it three times you could pay for all those costs maybe you'll split that with a vendor maybe you won't 
And then at the end of it, you realize that it isn't going to be something that's going to sell at group buy or it doesn't work how you expected it to. And that project then just dies a slow death, you know. Um, and yeah. at that point, you've, you've got something that may or may not be usable as a one-off, but you've probably invested a significant amount of time, energy, money into that. And that's not going to be something that you get back. So you, you can't walk into these design decisions expecting to make a profit every single time. So yeah. it, it just needs to be borne in mind sometimes, I think. Yeah, cool. Now, totally different note, but it's very easy for someone like you that has been the hobby, been in the hobby for a long time and has a large collection of iron boards to forget, you know, how it is to be at the starting level. I'm not saying that you are one of those people. On the contrary, you know, with even with Topclack and even you know contacting you with you daily, uh, I see that you, you you know you support a lot of new people coming in and you have a very realistic view on things. But you know, when you're driving Ferraris every day. It's very complicated, you know, it's very normal to go into a Fiat and just think, look at it and go like, oh, you know, it, <laughs> right? How do you, you know, or how hard it is to keep yourself tuned with the, with the reality of the, and I hate the word budget, but the budget end of the hobby, right? Sure. I mean, I, I still buy stuff that's from the, as you say, the, the, the budget end, and I hate that term as well, yeah, but yeah. Like, I, I, I still buy boards from you know kbd fans and I, I one of the boards i tend to use on a regular basis is a kbd 67 that i've had for three or four years and i i, I genuinely enjoy using that board but um i think that the, the the trick to it is for me is to just try and put yourself in other people's shoes just because i like one thing doesn't mean to say that everyone likes that thing whether that be the the price the type mounting type the style of the board or whatever else it is you know there's a thousand and one things out there and there's a thousand and one different opinions of what right is yeah. um so i think that the trick for me is to just look at things and try and put yourself in other people's position and understand what that might look like from them a great example is the new board from glorious the gmmk correct Pro. like correct. that that's i mean i don't think it's a custom in fact it's absolutely no not no a retailer's yeah. board or everything yeah. and everything else but they and they and they and they've absolutely designed it around buzzwords but for anyone coming into the hobby new that wants something that's available oh, yeah, relatively a... easily you know that's that's going to be there for them, and they they're going to be able to try that out relatively cheaply, relatively inexpensively. They're going to get to try gasket mount and everything else out on a budget, and that might work for them. And if that works for them, that's fantastic. You know they don't need the key cults or you know whatever other high end board that you want to pick they, because they've got something that they're happy with. And that's the trick to it. It's working out what's going to make people happy. Yeah, I think I normally say that you know you should you you should like your 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 keyboard. Doesn't matter what it is, you, you know. If you're happy with it, why should we criticize that, right? That's that's basically what it is, Absolutely. you know. And I remember when, yeah. when, uh, when I bought my first uh, mechanical keyboard, which was a 25 pound keyboard that, you know, obviously nowadays, uh, you know, having used uh, uh, better things, I would not say high end, but better things, right? You can plainly feel the difference, but at the time, it was perfect, it was amazing, right? And I loved it. So, yeah, you know, but. On that note, right? So, how do you feel about the, that elitism that exists in the hobby? You know, some people dismiss something as being not high end enough, often not expensive enough, right? Which is very, very tied down to the same thing. I, I see that in a lot of of the discussion. Uh, a lot of times, is when they talk about high end, is price. 
Sure. I I don't think price is the only thing that makes a board high end. I think that's a bit of a misnomer. It's like it's like saying that a board, the heavier a board is, the better it is. You know, weight weight is not uh, an analogous you know results being good. It's it's two very different things. But I think in terms of the elitism we see in the hobby. I, I don't like that. Like, I like to collect boards and whatever else and stuff, but I don't like to see people saying mine's better than yours because that person might not be able to afford something that's better. They might be completely happy and completely satisfied with what they have, and that's great for them. Um, but you, you, you're never going to get away from that in, in a hobby like oh, this. Yeah. You're never going to get away from people claiming that theirs is the best or whatever you, you you mentioned the ferraris earlier on you know if you go to any car meetup it's going to be the same sort of thing people are going to claim that their car's the best because oh, yeah, it's course. more expensive or it's faster yeah. or it can do you know it, it, it you know whatever it has not 60 times as fast than everything else um i think what what we should do though is we should stop elitism being a gateway um elitism what it, it, it's fine for you to support manchester united instead of you know uh um you know leeds, leeds. united which yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean to say that leeds are a bad team or that players are bad people you know the same thing for keyboards just because it's not a keekle or it's it's not a tgr or whatever else doesn't make it a bad keyboard it just might not be for you if you're at that upper uh if you've got a different level to your game no, correct. um yeah. you, you you go back right to the beginning of the hobby uh in the western world when we weren't really making customers over here and everyone would tell you to buy an and pro or a poker three or some other board of that variation um and those were seen as good solid boards you know or vintage boards and you know there's there's still absolutely nothing wrong with those and I, I think you sh- just shouldn't judge people for what keyboard they're typing on just because you have something that you think is better. I think that, no, that's correct. a little bit at least, yeah. 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 And I think it's, it's one of the, the, the messages I got very early too on, on, uh, on the community was that, man, doesn't matter what keyboard you have. You know, it, it is how it is. You just, if you're in the hobby because you like keyboards, that's fantastic, right? Obviously, you do get that. But like you said, but it happens everywhere. You know, even people don't buy Ferraris just because they want a red car. And let's just say it that way, right? They also mm-hmm. there's also a part of it that uh, of those people that just want to show off that they can buy one of one, right? Because they sure. buy it, they hide it in the, the garage, and they don't use it, which I sure. find you know incredible having a car like that and not use it. But that's another thing. Now you touched on the amount of keyboards and key sets that you own, right? It's it's very easy for 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 a lot of people to think now. How the hell does he get all this money for to do all this, right? <laughs> it is normal, right? I think it's it's very common I, yeah. because one of the top one of the top thoughts initially when you get into the hobby is what one hundred and fifty dollars for a key set? These guys are crazy, right? It it is typical, but I think there's a very big issue with FOMO in the community, right? And while some people are sensible, you know, they're happy with what they have, some people are spending more money that they can either on keyboards or key sets, you know, just to be part of that cool kids side. Right? What would you advise anyone dreaming about that? You know, that end game keyboard for them, but not having the means to have it. You know, how would you advise them to work out to have it or to, you know, because again, like I like I was saying, it's very easy for people to just to spend and not care, right? 
Yeah, and and I think that could be dangerous. Like the my my view on this is the first thing you should do when it, whenever you're going to approach any new hobby or you know uh, any any new undertaking is what's the budget? What can I reasonably afford? And you set yourself that budget and you don't exceed it. That could be buying a house, it could be buying a car, it could be buying a keyboard. It doesn't really matter what it is, but you set yourself a budget. You work out how much you can afford, and you know you you go from there you see what's available from there don't set your minds on having you know the 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 top end board that's nine hundred dollars just because it's nine hundred dollars there are some great examples of boards that are three hundred dollars you know there are some great examples of boards that are two hundred dollars if you want a pre-built board then you know and and pro as we said earlier on is a damn good board for the money yeah so you need to be realistic and you need to set a baseline for what you're willing and able to spend i think it would be inherently silly for anyone to get into debt uh, over keyboards over uh, what is effectively a, a tool and you have to treat them like a tool as well if you if you were a workman and you needed say a drill you know you wouldn't necessarily go out and buy the most expensive drill for your first day on the job you wouldn't buy a makita at five hundred dollars for your first day on the job you'd buy you know the the, the 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 cheapest brand and you'd use it until it broke and hopefully by that time you'd have some more money and then you'd buy the next tool that was a little bit more expensive right and I think it's the same with keyboards. You you need to set yourself a budget and be willing to spend a certain amount. Don't go broke over chasing a dream of Endgame because for most people, Endgame doesn't exist. You'll find something <laughs> yes. else because there's, there's so many products coming out that yeah. you, you'll, you'll find something else that you want more later. And I think that that's, that's the key to Pharma as well. Once you've got like a, a baseline of how much you're willing to spend, then don't be drawn into the hype or the FOMO unless you can help it. If it's something you really want, sure, fine. Then, then, then you know, then maybe that's okay for, for for you. But just be really conscious that you're you're falling into that hype. You're falling into that uh, FOMO uh, because there's always going to be something else that's going to come out. You know, yeah. you might have this weekend just been trying to get an i one eighty, and that's going to be a great keyboard, right? I I love the Smith and Rune guys, but there's going to be other TKLs in the future. You know, the, it's not going to be the last TKL on the market. Um, so you have to bear that in mind you have to bear in mind that if you miss something if you can't afford something there's going to be something else that's going to come along that should scratch the itch in the same way yeah i think you know there's a there's a big constant hype created for products which is normal right marketing everywhere yeah, that's marketing in the world that's one, right yeah. yeah marketing exists right uh but it does seem to negatively impact some people right uh, um do you, do you you as as a vendor now do you see that this happening more at this time in the hobby, especially because of all this amount of key sets that appear. Uh, because like you said, you know, before you had a key set every month, every two months. So it would be easy. People would see it. Oh, you know what? I like it. And they would go for it. Because obviously, maybe then at the time they were thinking, you know what? I want to buy the next one. And they're putting some money away. But now there's so much, um, you know, so much stuff coming out. Uh, and I've seen these examples. I've seen posts or, or comments of people going like, "Oh, I got into this to this uh, raffle for this six hundred dollars keyboard, and now I got into the other raffle of the other one that cost six hundred, and now I won both." And obviously, they're now in debt, right? Because, but why do you join both? It's because uh, a bit of a fear of missing out. Yeah, yeah. They, they 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 feared that they would miss out on on, on both both if they didn't. Yeah, uh, yeah. They only wanted one, but they entered both to try and get at least one, and then they won won both. Both. You know? Yeah. It, it, it's a difficult situation and it, it is driven by the fact that it's such limited products but you know if if you, if you were buying a car and you put yourself in this position on a car you wouldn't be bidding on two cars 
to try and Correct. buy both of them. You would pick which one did you really want, go for that one. And if you didn't get it, then you'd wait for the next one to come up on the market, right? Yeah. You yeah. have to do that with keyboards as well. I, I don't think it's sane or rational. And I certainly wouldn't want to see it as a vendor. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to think that I was the reason that someone lost their house, apartment, job, car, whatever, because they bought a keyboard through me that they couldn't afford. That would that would break my heart if I learned that that had ever happened. Um but at the same time, from a financial perspective, the vendors, you know, when they take group by money, that money is then used to manufacture the boards. They couldn't Obviously. refund Obviously. everyone if everyone wanted a refund because that money's then not there. Um, so you have to you have to take some responsibility and accountability as a customer for your own actions. And I think yeah, I totally, can... I totally agree on that. Yeah, I think I think it's it's that is an important sentence because uh, you guys as vendors, you know, you're doing what, like you said, first of all, marketing one on one, which is typical. Everyone does it. You know, if I if I create a key set and I don't tell anyone, no one will know that it exists. And if I don't create that hype, people won't buy it. It's normal. You know, in any product in the world, uh, you get bombarded in the TV for commercials every five minutes, right? So sure. it, it is a normal thing. But like you said, it's I think it's very important also to. To, to think that, you know, it is the responsibility of the buyer to really know what they're doing, right? And, and yeah, there's situations where people don't. And then it's a problem, but, but yeah, I think we shouldn't just point out the finger to, to a vendor or to, oh, it's because you guys just have 10 spots for a raffle, and that's why. No, it was you that, like you said, you joined both because you wanted, right? Yeah, you didn't want to miss out. And I, I get that. And the, the, I, I think these were both symptoms of a wider problem. And that, that wider problem is supply and demand across the hobby. Yeah. Um, that That's the root cause of most of the activities and behaviors that we see. It, it drives a lot of the elitism because only so many people can get certain boards. Uh, it drives, you know, the FOMO because people realize things are going to either sell out immediately or they're not going to be available again as extras for a long time afterwards. Yeah. And I think... You, you just need to bear that in mind when you're buying into these group buys. You need to be really conscious. Just challenge yourself. And like just before you click the buy button, have it in your basket. Just before you click the buy button, think, is this the one I really want? Or do I want to just wait and hold off? And yeah. you only and need I to think, take a second to think that through. Yeah. I think I think the, you know, like like um, like we were talking, talking before, but the GMMK as an example, it's a good also a good solution for that because... Even though it's not uh, Satisfaction 75, people wanted to compare it to Satisfaction 75, which is not, you know, it's just a 75% with a knob. That's what it is. But, <laughs> but you know, at the same time, I think that that would help a lot of people which would get into that situation and probably will go, oh, you know what, I'm because it's available. It's not something that you have to go into a raffle to get or have to be there and, in, and get sold in five, five seconds. Um, yeah. And the more and more we have of those, again, even though they're not high-end, uh, but it's the same situation with cars, uh, which is, you know, you have your, your Fiat Fords, etc., which are always available. And then you have your Ferraris and your Lamborghinis and your Porsches, which are much lower quantity. Some of them are made to order, etc. It is, you know, a nature of our world, right? Um, speaking about cars, I need to go into your passion for vintage cars. Right. Oh yes, <laughs> me my other hobby. <laughs> yeah, my my my. I'm also a big fan of motorsports and cars, right? And mm -hmm. and I had a Toyota Corolla from 1972 that nice. I still regret that I I don't have it. You know, it, it just happened. When I was young, etc. It was actually one year older than me. But wow. yeah, what color was it? Was red, you know, nice. red. Yeah, it was yeah. It was a good one. Um, but then you know, your Datsun. Is one yeah. that I will totally ask for Gibbs eventually, you know. <laughs> but uh, you have several cars. I know Datsun is your pride and joy. 
but how long did you take you know it take you to get it to the state that it is at the moment um wow so so when i bought the car i bought it from uh, america it was a arizona car um and i think i've had it eight years now and i think it's been on the road for about half that time when i first got it it, it drove and it was fine but it was it, it wasn't necessarily rusty but it was old and it was tired and it needed a lot of work so we spent a couple of years stripping it down um uh, well, it sat, it sat for a year first before I did anything on it because once I paid for the car, I didn't have the money to to, uh, <laughs> to carry on restoring yeah. it. But yeah, after after about a year, we started to uh, to build it back up. So we replaced the front brakes. Uh, we uh, we took the engine out. Uh, we painted, we stripped and painted the whole car inside and out. Um, that was a big job because uh, sure. we, we didn't we didn't get we didn't go out to a body shop or anything. We did that in in my garage at the time, which was really interesting so i kind of like made like a booth in there and um put like a marquee up uh, inside the garage so that we could turn it into a spray booth and things um and then yeah we we had the engine rebuilt that i didn't do myself i i, I got a professional to do the rebuild of the engine and everything else and then we we spent uh, probably eight months putting it back together and making sure everything was fine sourcing more parts um uh, things like trim like chrome trim man it's so so hard to find these days um but yeah we we found all of it uh i wouldn't say the car was a hundred percent done there is still some things i want to do uh but the car is obviously it's fully functional it's on the road it drives and i, I love to drive that uh but yeah it, there's just probably... something about vintage cars man there's just something oh, man, about wait. them that they, they they're <laughs> Crazy, we make right? we make good cars these days reliable strong cars these days which is fine but they don't have the same yeah. style they don't have the same no. passion behind them they don't have the same looks like cars from the 70s and 60s they just have a different look and yeah. feel to them and and we, we we can't get back to that we will never get back to that and the modern cars these days we'll, we'll i don't think we'll see any car from 2005 onwards that will ever be classed as a classic car the reason for that is because eventually they're just going to break they've all got computer systems in there you can't really do too much at home on them you need certain diagnostic tools and once those tools fall out of favor and they disappear and they go away those modern cars will never become classics because you just won't be able to repair them. You just won't have a choice. Yeah. Even that, like uh, you say, the the engine, the engines of the time, etc. You know, I remember my with my my seventy two Corolla. I just, you know, uh, all of a sudden, uh, one of the radiator uh, hoses died. I replaced it myself. Today, yeah, you you open a trunk of a car, you look at it, and you have no clue of what to do because it's all electronic. It's all closed down. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. vendors do it on purpose so that you don't touch it. You know, it, yeah, proprietary screws and bolts and oh, everything yeah. else. And, about yeah, that, I have an amazing story about proprietary screws. So, um, I bought, um, I had a Fiat Uno at a certain point, right? And I broke a mirror, or someone broke the mirror, and I bought a, sure. the mirror, replaced it. Very easy. You just take out the the the, the thing. You just unscrew, screw the one out, done. Later on, um, I moved into a, a Fiat Punto, brand new at the time, orange, beautiful car, um, and Again, because it was the place where I parked next to my work, a bus passes, breaks the mirror. I go to one to buy one, and the guys obviously in, in Fiat say, oh, you know what, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, at the time, I think it was like 60, 60 euro to change, just for the, the, the work of changing the mirror. And I thought, sure. you know what, ah, I'm, I, I'm not going to pay that money. I, I, I can do it myself. I already did another one. No problem. I bought the mirror, take it. I go into a friend's garage. We spent three hours trying to take the cover 
of the door out, <laughs> one broken cover of a door after, and realizing that they had put a specific, um, you know, uh, screw that you cannot take out because it's proprietary. And then you have yeah. to go there, pay the money, and the guy does it in five minutes. Puts in the screw, takes it out, puts the other one in, thank you, goodbye. Right? But yep. that's how it is, right? They do it now. Um, if Now, another note, which, which is, is there any other car in your collection that has a very special place in your heart? Uh, the, the Datsun is number one, and it always will be. I think over the years, I've had a lot of different cars. I think at the most, I had 11 at one point at the same time, like 11 cars all at the same time. Now, i am very much changed that. So I, I sold quite a few cars uh, at the end of last year to give me the money to start up Prototypist to get the mm -hmm. capital for that. So I sold an old Volkswagen Beetle. I sold my Mazda um, Speed 6 um, and a few other cars at the time. So now I'm back down to five uh, at the minute, which I know still sounds crazy, but I've got five at the moment. The two favorites out of all of the cars I have right now, Datsun is number one, and number two is Pete. Um, Pete is my is the prototypist pickup truck PT. <laughs> PT, that's where the name Pete comes from. Yeah. Um, and that's a 1989 Volkswagen Caddy pickup in British racing green. Um, and I love that thing. It's just so much fun to drive. It's cool it's it's so useful having the pickup bed uh that you can just shove stuff in there boxes and whatever else packages if i'm going to to do a package run or whatever you know um even moving sofas around i, I bought a sofa for <laughs> um yeah uh, for, for my home snug the other week and i just went and picked it up in that and it was great um so yeah uh, that's that's probably my second favorite car right now yeah well actually I actually had this uh, this this question for you, which is, you know, you could have bought any van, regular van, for you know, for the shop, and but you did went go with the Volkswagen, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's curious, but it's a very very curious, you know, very beautiful, and I loved. Uh, I saw a picture on Instagram where I, you could see the bed, the wooden bed that it has, really nice, looks really. Yeah, good. yeah, that that came with the car as well. I didn't make that. Like I was going to make one myself, but that came with the car, and uh, the guy who'd had it before me, he'd done quite a lot of the restoration on it, so he'd replaced the engine uh, instead of having a one point six uh, petrol engine, which it came with stock. It actually has now a one point nine. Uh, turbo diesel engine so there's nice. a little bit more power there nice. um yeah the, when there's no weight in the back of the truck it, it's, yeah it's a little <laughs> yeah. bit hard to control but um yeah. it's good fun and yeah like when i was looking at trucks i i did uh, i actually looked at a lot of like uh the new volkswagen caddy vans uh, is what i was actually looking at um uh, so these like you know a panel van uh, with just double open doors at the rear and chuck stuff in like a small transit van type thing um and they were about the same sort of money for the age i was looking at and i thought well why not just have something a bit cooler a bit more fun to drive something a little bit more vintage and i just started to have a look and i never intended to buy like a pickup truck that was not what i set out to do and yeah um it was a case of i just need a truck for i, I just need some sort of workhorse some sort of commercial vehicle for the shop right that's what i need and why not do it with a bit of style why not do it with a bit of yeah you know panache nice. a bit <laughs> yeah now talking about f1 we both follow f1 we love it mm. What is it with F1 and why do you love it so much? Oh, man, everything. The sound, the noise, the smell, the people. I don't know if you've ever been to an F1 race, but just... I, I've been to a few and just, just in person. Never, so never oh. never F1, but I actually... You know, I lived in Morocco. Uh, okay. And while I was there, I lived in Marrakesh and they, they used to do the WTCC there. So every year yeah. I would go there. And then it's I the same for any motorsport. Yeah, it's so... Yeah, I love that. The circus, like they call it, but it's so 
yeah, it's it is, so it is a appealing, circus. It, it is, is. Like, there's it just is. people everywhere milling around doing jobs. It's just exciting. Um, it's on my, it's on my to do list to go to Silverstone and see uh, a, a, an F one race there. Let's that let's do it. 2021. You and I, Vogon, we, we're going to go to Silverstone. That um, would be great. Let's yeah, do it. We'll, we'll 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 take the pickup truck. We'll camp out um, <laughs> and we'll spend the weekend there. We'll watch quality. We'll watch the race. Yeah, yeah we'll do yeah, that. Would love to to do that. Uh, did you ever did you ever yourself experience any you know kart open wheel racing any type of racing yourself um yeah so so personally not so much but through friends i've experienced quite a bit i've done kart days and stuff like that a lot um i've done them since i was a kid and i really enjoy kart racing um yeah. i think my my talent behind the wheel runs out faster than some of my friends does um but one of the things that massively got me into restoring cars is uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine bought a a kit car. Um, he bought a Caterham kit car. He's called oh, Stephen yeah, Tozer. Yeah. He, yeah, he's he's called Stephen Tozer. He's a, he's a really nice guy. He probably never hear this, but um, I give him a shout out anyway. And he he bought this uh, this Caterham kit car, and it got delivered to his garage in just boxes. It came in crates, and we had to break it open and build the car up. And I was helping him do that um, over a period of maybe three months. We put the car together, and uh, then it went through all of its road legal tests and checks. And Thing. But the flip side of this was that when he bought the car, they gave him the opportunity to enter the Caterham Academy because he bought a certain specification, mm -hmm. which is kind of like for everyone with that specification, you can go to Caterham uh, run track days and basically have a mini championship. It's yep. it's not for professionals. It's only for amateurs, people who've never raced before. Um, and there was kind of like about 40 people. So they split them into two groups of 20. There was a white team and the green team. And it was basically like two two mini F two championships running yeah. running in parallel kind of thing if you if you'd like to think of it that way and and they had eight or nine races all around the country some time trials as well and things like that and I'd go along I'd help him I'd put help him put the car together we'd do nut and bolt checks we'd make sure the right fuel was in we'd do calculations for pit stops we'd we'd spend time talking with the other guys and trying to work out a strategy on how he should race and where he should race and he was far more talented behind the wheel than I ever could be like when we go karting he's always a second quicker around the car laps than I can. I just can't keep up with him. Yeah. Um, it, it, it doesn't help that I'm significantly more overweight and he's he's incredibly underweight. But uh, well, which is something um, that you need to be on karting, which affects <coughs> kart. In that, 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 that's the reason for the difference in our skill yeah. level. I'm sure the fact that I'm fat, <laughs> but. Um, he yeah he he he's just he's obscene behind the behind the wheel of a car he just he just has a feel that i don't have and whilst i love and enjoy cars he can just do things in them that i can't and yeah. i'm very cognizant of that um but yeah we, we went to all of these races um he started off uh i think the first race he got fourth position uh, he had a couple of wins in there and anyway at the end of the season uh, i think i think it was 11 or 12 events in total at the end of the season he actually won the white team uh the white nice. group uh, yeah. championship so you got big trophies and everything else but yeah that was that was a really good fun and really good good times i remember being sat in his living room one night at like 3 a.m and we were trying to wrap the vinyl on the bonnet and trying to get all of the vinyl to go into the uh into the vents on the bonnet and make it look neat and tidy and aerodynamic and yeah just some really good fun memories of that yeah racing racing is so cool you know, I, I was very surprised when I when I did the first kart uh, racing. I was very surprised of of how hard the the um, the steering wheel is and how oh, hard sure. yeah. you feel everything. So I can only imagine in in a you know in a in a Formula One. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. You know, four hundred kilometers. It's just it's just you know unbelievable. The, the how can they see? The how can how can they you know hold all those those G's? 
It, it's not even that. It, 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 it's it's the thought process. How can they process what Correct. they're doing as quick as they can when they're yeah. approaching that corner so fast? How can they work out yeah. when they need to break, when they need to turn in, and then do that consistently to the, within a tenth of a second, lap after lap after lap? Like That level of consistency, that's unbelievable. What yeah. drivers can I, do. I normally t- tend to, to tell people a lot, you know, the first uh, season of Drive to Survive from Netflix, you see what's his name that is now in Renault with uh, Ricardo this year. Um, Ocon. Ocon. You actually see him at a certain point on a sim with his eyes closed doing the lap. Yeah. So they yeah. know exactly when to do it. It's it's, it's impressive, right? It's not, uh, and it can, it has to be a bit like that. It has to be a bit of that uh, mechanism that you have to do it because otherwise, you know, how can you just? Oh, it's the 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 curb is coming. How? Yeah. At four hundred kilometers an hour. It's crazy. Right. Series of quick fire questions for you. Favorite team? Uh, McLaren. Favorite current driver? Oh, difficult one. I want to pick between Perez and Russell, uh, and I hope that one of them goes to McLaren. <laughs> <laughs> Who will be the next champion once Lewis retires? Because we know Lewis con- will continue to be the champion. <sighs> yeah, Lewis is probably seven this year. That's crazy. He's um, crazy. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, I think that the two big challengers to the throne are Leclerc and Verstappen. I think they've both got equal amounts of talent. Um, I think that Verstappen's probably got more drive than than Leclerc from what we've seen so far, but he's also got more experience. So I think those two are going to be the Vettel and uh, Hamilton of the future. And uh, hopefully there will be an equal machinery and be able to challenge from that from 2022 onwards in the new regs. Cool. V10, V12, or the current V6? Oh, oh, probably the V12 era. The, the, the noise was just oh, unbelievable. So beautiful. It? It something else. Yeah, yeah. Last one. Favorite F1 idol of all times? Um, do you know what? I'm going to go for Nigel Mansell because he is a gentleman. I've met him twice in real life and he's an absolute gent. So Nigel Mansell. Cool. I've actually uh I've actually driven another Datsun that he actually drove in anger around the track. So when I was trying to buy Datsuns, I looked at a couple of UK cars and Nigel Mansell once did a track day where he put a Datsun uh 240Z against a uh a Jaguar E type. Uh, the mm-hmm. E type was faster, but he drove both the cars and I've actually driven that same car. So curious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we both agree on the on the team, McLaren. Definitely, yeah. favorite current driver for me. I'm sorry, guys, if you if you if you hate him, but you know, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton is just amazing. You know, on on his performance, the guy is just incredible. He's he's on the level. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree with you on the next champion between both. Although I don't really appreciate Lecrae, like I call him that much, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, V12s for sure, and the favorite idol for me, Ayrton Senna. Because you know, again, I grew up watching him, and unfortunately, I was I was watching the race where he died, you know, in Imola. But yeah, it's, it's a yeah, Senna. Senna yeah. Was... I I remember watching the the qualifying for that race, and it was when Ratzenberger died. Yeah, yeah. and my I was only quite young at the time. I think I was probably what I'd been eight or nine or something at the time. And my parents actually stopped me watching the race, so I never saw the race when Ayrton died. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's a I very it's a very curious thing. It's probably some why I don't you know I never liked Schumacher. You know, it's it's a, it's a funny thing because again Schumacher is one of the greatest pilots of you know all times right but it was i think it was because of that situation where you know uh senna has the the accident and he's still at the end of the race he parties because he won it's understandable mm. too because he probably doesn't know what happened 
but you know that's probably why I never really got into you know to to like him that much. But hey, that's why F one is very interesting. You even these little things are are interesting. Sure. Right. Last question of the podcast, or last questions of the podcast podcast that we do to everyone. If you could change something in the keyboard hobby today, what would it be? Uh, accessibility. I'd make things more accessible to more people. That's uh, the one thing I'd change. Um, and I do that through a number of different ways. Uh, I think uh, ramping up production volumes and also ramping up sustainability. I think the the biggest unspoken issue in keyboards right now isn't the flipping or anything else. It's sustainability and how do we make sure that we're being responsible in the hobby so uh this isn't trying to plug myself or anything but as part of prototypist every bit of energy we use here in the workshop is carbon offset and everything that i buy cardboard boxes packaging wise and everything else is carbon offset as well and i think that's something that we really need to focus on to not just for the 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 vendor side but the actual production side as well good good and you know 2020 we already spoke has been uh, i think a year that everyone wants to forget um but hey What's next for 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 Jay and Prototypist? Um, well, if I go full time, uh, hopefully, maybe producing more in house, uh, doing more in house stuff, and maybe working with more designers as well. Like, um, yeah, I've got a few people who I'm helping make prototypes of stuff now, which I can't talk about, but there's there's other stuff coming in that works. And of course, the the teas that I gave you earlier on, the, yes. the Arabic keys. So there's a couple of vintage inspired key sets that are in the back of my mind that I'm semi working on when I get chance at the moment. So. Um, Arabic is absolutely going to be a feature of one of those. Cool. Cool. Jesus, another one that I have to spend money on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Jay, last thing to do is just thank you so much for, for being with us. It was really, really nice talk. Um, everyone, guys, um, I'll put, I'll put all, the, all, the, all the, the links on the show notes for you guys, uh, for Prototypist and for obviously TopClack. If, if you don't know TopClack, you're basically not in the keyboard hobby, I think. But that's another story, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, as a side note, we have um, an email address, thethoughtpodcast.gmail.com, where you can send us a message if you want, something like that. Um, a teaser that I would like to, to send out and a question to everyone that listens what is the intro of the show the intro sound of the show i would love to see if someone gets it there's a hidden thing on there so i would love to to know if, if people if people you know get it um, uh, i need to go back and listen to that now yeah, and see yeah. if i can work it out <laughs> uh and and yeah we also have a, a twitter account uh, at the talk where you can follow to get notified whenever a new episode comes out it will notify you immediately um, other than that, Jay, once again, thank you, thank you so much for your for your, for being here. I really appreciate it. Hope you, you have a, no worries, man. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll keep on watching your streams and watching Top Clock. Top, Top Clock is hard. I normally watch the the VODs because it's at two a.m. So it's it's a bit. I don't know how you do it. Uh, <laughs> the, the waking up at two a.m. to to do it, but yeah, you know. Again, guys, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you guys uh, join on the next one too. Jay, once again, thank you so much, man. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye.